Tell you what, that PlayStation showcase was a bit of a treat. Numerous things in there that I uh, quite like the look of. Obviously, uh, bloody Spider-Man too. I'm a, I mean, I'm an absolute sucker for uh, for those Spider-Man games. Uh, it sort of, it, it made me think. I think one of the things that PlayStation does so well is just open worlds, just the open world genre. It was really cool because like it it sort of has these open worlds that are sort of closer to like an Assassin's Creed two era, you know. I mean, Ghost of Tsushima was was excellent. I thought I thought Spider Man was really really good. It's it's like that old school, you know. Um, here's your here's your towers to climb. Here's your your nice map with your activities and all that sort of stuff. I think it helps with um, with Spider Man when you've just got that movement and it's just so much fun to get around. Which I think the Assassin's Creed games kind of used to have and then had less and less of as time went by, but. Yeah, that reveal was amazing, I thought. Hello. Um, That was quite an impressive Sony conference, I thought. I think um, you're absolutely right about uh, Sony's roster of open world games. And I think what's pleasing about them is that there's so so much variety there. Spider-Man, Horizon Zero Dawn, Days Gone even. They're all different, you know. They're not... not exactly the same either in location or format or tone so i think that variety really helps because it's it's easy to get burned out on on open world games and they are different enough um i can understand someone maybe being you know slightly disenchanted by the assassin's creed series uh, at this stage given the past three games good good though they were um but you know if you're just uh, picking up sony first party games each one is is, is completely different your Assassin's Creed comment does strike a chord, though, and I'm pleased, I think, to see Mirage show a bit of a back-to-basics approach. That does mean it looks kind of a lot like the first game, but, you know, I'm kind of I'm up for that. And I think, you know, with the improvements in animation and, and movement and some new mechanics, going back to basics is, is a welcome move. Um, I liked all three of the previous uh, most recent Assassin's Creed games but I've not finished any of them the only ones in the series oh no I've finished Origins but I've not finished Odyssey or Valhalla and they're the only games in the series I haven't uh, finished and it's a series I love so I'm, I'm looking forward to Mirage hoping that it will be more digestible and uh, a very honed experience it's funny how um, it can almost be seen as retro now which makes me feel old but um, anyway, let's park the AC chat for another time. Uh, what else did I like? Dragon's Dogma appealed to me. Um, similarly, I, that's a game I've played a chunk of both on 360 and on Switch and have never quite managed to to click with. But there's something about its, its muddy, earthy physical approach that appeals to me. So I'd like to see uh, Capcom stick the land in with this one. I think the new game from some of the creatives behind... Uh, Night in the Woods, uh, Revenant Hill, that looks great. I'm I'm really excited for that. Night in the Woods is one of my favourite games, certainly one of my favourite indie games of the last... I I was about to say five years, but it must be at least six now. Um, So that 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 one's looking good to me. Um, And then I think some of the other stuff looks good. Foam Party, no, Foam, what's it called? Foam Fun, the Splatoon-like, I think, looks quite good. I love Splatoon, so more in that vein is welcome for me. Um, 
and I'd be interested to get your thoughts on the uh, the Wii U like device, the the streaming device. I'm, I've recently come round to remote play for games, uh, specifically on Xbox. I, I got one of those backbone units to review for thumbsticks, and I was really quite taken with the experience. And I know you've used PlayStation Remote Play for a long, long time. Uh, I think PS4 and Vita. Um, and so I wondered what your take is on this new little Project Q device. It serves a purpose, I guess, but it, it seems like an odd an odd product to bring to market, given that you can sync your phone and remote play. And, and, you know, is it... I wonder if it has more to offer than it first, than first appears. Yeah, that thing was bloody crazy, wasn't it? That <laughs> I think it's kind of... It's like... Um... With the what was it called Pro- Project Q, I think it was, or something like that. It's funny because I, I have been on that whole thing for ages. I remote play with the Vita, um, <laughs> and you can remote play the PS5 with uh, Steam Deck. So I don't really need that Project Q thing, but it would be cool to have the similar version that, of what you can do on the Steam Deck, but with a. I guess with a PS5 controller that's been cut in half and stretched out. I mean, it's funny. It is. I think it's an idea that's kind of got legs because it's. When, I think when you're when you're on a local connection, just in the house, then remote plays pretty far. It's like streaming. Generally, I'm a little bit dubious of, but just the sort of local remote play, I think can you know work pretty well. Um, so I'm kind of all for that, really. Although, <laughs> like, I don't know if... It's funny, because I've heard people say it was like the Wii U, but actually, on the Wii U, I don't think you could... Like, could you play Wii U games just on the controller while other folks had the TV? I can't remember how that even worked. But either way, um, I, <laughs> I thought it was cool. I also thought it was a little bit a little bit sad. Um, it's sad that these days, like none of the major companies are doing handhelds and that's sort of the closest thing like i guess what it what it is about these days is like stretching the company slightly thin to do a handheld i mean xbox have like never done one obviously nintendo they kind of sort of maybe they would go well we are doing a handheld because it's a hybrid but it's not really because all their teams are it's about who's developing what games for it you know that's how you can tell a handheld i think it's not the not just the form factor of the unit it's the games that are going out on it and the fact of the matter is the switch is simply a home console really in terms of that so it is sad that these days <laughs> i guess sony come the closest because they're doing vr so it's kind of like uh well that's where some of our teams are being stretched thin is and and making games that can only exist on this side project that's like the closest thing we have to one of the big platform holders doing a handheld division is actually like a VR thing now. But when I saw that Project Q, my heart leapt for a minute. I thought, oh my God, they do... And then I realised what it was. I thought, oh, okay, well, that is cool, but Christ, I'd take a, I'd take a Vita too. There's the problem, I think. If you, if you wanted to have a dedicated handheld now, you'd the quality of the game it has to stand up to you know a mobile game or at least a switch game or even a vita game you know it has to be at that fidelity and at that point you might as well be making something that can be played on on TVs or other devices there's the the era of simple little DS or GBA games or even PSP games is kind of gone i think 
there's there's you know everyone's phone is is more powerful than well than a switch already you know let alone anything else so you've really got to so it's hard to know where that market is now. I think that hybrid thing is the way forward. Or, you know, streaming allows you to take that uh, home experience to your device of choice where and when you can. The funny thing about the Wii U is that it was seamless. You could play games on the Wii U gamepad. You didn't need a TV for the Wii U. I mean, plenty of games used the TV and the second screen in-game. But for the most part, you could play almost everything just on the game gamepad if you so wished and it was seamless there was some strange hocus pocus with the with using wi-fi technology to stream to um from the well you know to beam the 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 gameplay from the console to the to the wii u gamepad it was seamless there's never any you know it was there was never any lag or, or break up or anything it, it worked 100 percent of the time the only caveat is that you really had to be quite close to the tv you had to be in the same room essentially i could never take my wii u gamepad to bed and be playing a game from the wii u in the living room it just would the signal would break there had to be kind of like line of sight almost but nonetheless it was um it was it was a fantastic experience and i I guess if this this uh project q device is configured to uh, achieve that, but maybe maybe have a greater range, then, you know, just as a, a portable system around the house, I think it's quite good. That's what I use my phone and my backbone for, for the Xbox. And it's like 95% great. There are times, sometimes in some games, where it will, it will break up even, you know, if we're watching Netflix or, or doing some other thing on, on our network. But it, it's pretty good. But maybe there's a market for a lower cost device that really does act as a second screen. Interesting. I think it looks bonkers. I mean, I, I, it's, it really does look quite funny. But, you know, I'm, I'm all up for it. And I think you're right about, you know, where VR sits. You're right. It's that one little outlier now. and You, you kind of see it. It's They get these kind of second-tier games, these second-string, uh, like, franchise entries, like the Horizon game, which reminds me of something like, I don't know, Metal Gear Acid or uh, what was the Uncharted game on Vita, you know, the almost but not quite games, um, which, you know, goes back to what we said last week about those weird Game Boy movie games, you know, that were often, you know, the the runt of the litter compared to their PS2 and GameCube and Xbox, uh, you know, siblings. Another thing just to add, and I think building on your point really, is... Anyone who listens to these voicemails will know that you and I uh, will will soon know that you and I love handheld gaming. We both love Game Boy Advance, Game Boy, DS, 3DS, Vita, PSP, Switch, and uh, I know you love the Steam Deck. I haven't got one, but um, I know you're a big fan. But one thing about um, the current crop of, of handheld devices, be it the Switch or Steam Deck, is that they're really just focusing on bringing big screen experiences, you know, on the go and and you know devices like project q and game streaming they really are designed about bringing P- uh, xbox and con- and uh, playstation console games with you what they don't do or what these devices don't have now are games built in the knowledge that they will be played handheld and i think there's something that gets lost there uh, a sense of game design, of experimentation, you know, the way a game's visuals will look or what the mechanics are. 
I think when you'll know you're creating something solely for that for that audience, it leads you to a different place. And as much as I love, like, you know, being able to play Red Dead 2 on my phone when I'm in bed or, or whatever, there's something about, you know, my favourite games from the, the DS era or the GBA era, which is lost now because no one will ever design games under those constraints. And, and that's a shame. Um, I guess mobile games uh, come in here and uh, true, and there are plenty of good ones. But I always... I never really consider mobile as my is my go-to device for gaming um, and that's probably because I'm an old man yeah that is exactly what I mean when I sort of said it's about the games they've got to be handheld games it can't just be handheld hardware it has to be handheld software and that's why I think the DS did so well and one of the reasons why I think the DS sort of managed to outdo the PSP is that it embraced that ethos a lot more. As much as I love the PSP and I think it probably is my maybe my favourite console I absolutely adored that thing when I was a kid. It sold people on the dream of what if you could have full fat console experiences in your hands and every now and again it did achieve that. Only the funny thing was those games were never really the ones that would stay with you as much as Grand Theft Auto Liberty City Stories was phenomenal, and Vice City Stories. They're, they're really good games, even now. They are proper full-fat GTA games. And, you know, stuff like God of War, Chains of Olympus, and uh, Ghost of Sparta, they're fantastic. Um, but but it's always going to be the Loco Rocos and the Patapons that stay with you, and Arthur McLean's Mercury for good or ill, because they were proper handheld experiences. And I think I think that is what doesn't exist now. I think partly it's because it comes down to, like, power. I think the DS did so many interesting games because it knew it had that power limitation and it embraced that limitation, you know, and found really interesting ways around it and used its hardware to its full. And... Uh, and I think, and actually, the P, and the PSP did that as well. It just didn't always do that. And to go back to the examples you were using, you used a really good example in Metal Gear Acid, which again, I love that game so much. It's one of my favourite games in the Metal Gear series. Although nowadays, it's uh, considered something of a black sheep because it had the cards and all that sort of stuff. But you know, it was interesting fundamentally. But one of the other games you listed was Uncharted: uh, the Golden Abyss for the Vita, and actually. I think that's an example of the other way. Because the thing about Uncharted is that it wasn't bastardised. It wasn't a handheld thing. It was a full fat, you know, port it to the PS3 and nobody had bloody noticed. Uncharted game. <laughs> but the only, I guess the only thing was, it wasn't on PS3. You could only get it on the Vita. So it's that, it was just, it was that attention that Sony paid to it then, which was really, really cool. And that's where I think they wouldn't stretch themselves thin anymore. Because they'd think, well, if this is indistinguishable from what's on console, why don't we also sell it? To <laughs> why don't we also sell it on consoles and make a load of money? And I think that's what Nintendo has done to the landscape with the Switch. Um, and I think mobile phones have come along and gobbled up a lot of the lot of the rest of the market. By the way, it's it's <laughs> it's one of the reasons you're going to laugh at this. It's one of the reasons that I really like the idea of the play date. I still don't have one. I'd like to buy one, actually. But just because it wasn't the crank and the, you know, 
gimmicks and all that sort of stuff, or maybe it was a little bit. Um, but it was the thing that is interesting me about the play date was that by definition it was a true handheld, and not just because of its form factor, but because all of the games were handheld games. They 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 could only exist on that platform, and that's magic, and that doesn't really exist anymore. Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned the, uh, the play date. I've been so, so tempted to get one, but I, I don't know if I can justify yet another games device in the house. And I don't know if I'd have the time to play any of the games, but I really I really like that device. I think the, the limitations that it presents developers in terms of its, of its you know, uh, performance capabilities and screen, I think are, are interesting. But then also the... The, uh, the input methods and the, the, the things that it does to kind of foster innovation as well. It's a real odd kind of side successor to something like the DS. And um, I'm sure at some point I'll get one. Another thing I'm interested in actually is there's a growing community of, of developers uh, and it feels like very much like part-time and hobbyist developers creating Game Boy games. There's a, there's a great uh, development platform called GB Studio, which is, is growing a a very committed community of developers uh, and using GB Studio you can create um, you know Game Boy games basically and games that can be played um, you know with virtual Game Boy technology in the browser or put on something like a analog pocket or one of these uh, sort of um, Abernec devices uh, the likes of which I have um, and even uh, some have been seen release on actual physical carts that work with uh, original Game Boy hardware so i think there's still an interest in creating these games but i i think the days of uh, mass market devices are unfortunately long gone In an effort to move the conversation on to something more up-to-date, I would like to get your thoughts on Star Wars Jedi Survivor for a couple of reasons. The first is uh, I really, really liked your review that you wrote for Thumbsticks.com, so thank you for that. And then secondly, I realised that it's the 40th anniversary of Return of the Jedi. Now that game, that game, that film was my first experience of Star Wars at the cinema. When that came out in 83, I was at just the right age to get into Star Wars. I loved the the toys. I used to get the magazine. Anything with Return of the Jedi on it specifically, I was all over. It was when my it was when I became a fan uh, of Star Wars. And at the time it seemed Star Wars seemed like such a magical, unknown, limitless space. And I feel like over the years, you know, that's that universe has become more filled in first by Lucas with the prequels and and now since Disney have taken over with comics and TV shows and so on and so forth. That universe is now much more constricted, boxed in and less magical for my money. Certainly in terms of storytelling and being a, being a venue to tell fairy tales and adventures that are, you know, not bound up in some kind of encyclopedic tome of lore. So, What's interesting, I think, about Star Wars Jedi Survivor is that it's uh, 
it's you know it's considered canon now it's as much part of star wars official star wars as return of the jedi and yet to my mind they seem so so far apart so i kind of i'm interested in a couple of things one your thoughts on on maybe that on just how it is to to play a game that is considered canon and then also just how the game and its predecessor fallen order how that fits in with the canon of star wars video games over the years you know they've been they've, they've been hits and misses but these definitely seem like the the best two, from what I've heard, having not played them, the best two Star Wars games in some time. So I'm, I'm fascinated by your thoughts on that. And also, I guess, as a, as a side uh, comment, I want to play them, but I haven't. And I'm, I'm still kind of not sure what I'm letting myself in for. Part Dark Souls, part Metroid. Um, I'd love to know your thoughts. First of all, I completely agree with you. <laughs> I, I think... The problem was actually, I weirdly, I, I think the problem with, well, one of the problems with Star Wars is like, it's quite a simple thing, really. It's, it's just too much of it. I think you know, when you're getting some in every year, it's by definition less special. And I think one of the reasons that it, you know it worked before when you you got a Star Wars movie, and then it was a few years until you got another one, is that your imagination could kind of run wild in that time in between. Um, actually I think the kind of dramatic premise of Star Wars has always been pretty thin but it's relied on the imagination of sort of children really ideally and 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 childish adults like me and you I guess uh, to kind of fill that in Uh, and actually what they've ended up doing um, is is filling it in with a lot of stuff that feels quite unimaginative for my money um, <laughs> I recently watched this uh, Andor, and uh, which was supposed to be some amazing show, and I just just thought, well, you know, I thought uh, uh, <laughs> it's supposed to be this, you know, g- real grim sort of oh, it's political thriller. It's it's you know, a new side of Star Wars, and I just thought, well, number one, it's sad that you know Tony Gilroy has to sneak a perfectly decent thriller into, into start like no one people won't give tony gilroy money to make a decent thriller series unless he smuggles it into star wars and then number two however good it is or isn't and it's perfectly decent it's not star wars it it has none of that magic that you describe so nicely it's uh it's just very grim and dark and sort of dull um so that would be my first thing my my second point and i think why i like uh, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order and now Star Wars Jedi Survivor is that I do think that games are at a point where they are, for my money, doing the best Star Wars stuff. They're in a position to do the best Star Wars stuff, really, because they have to have mechanics. They have to remember to deliver the goods my my uh, people people think I'm awfully weird. Like when it comes to Star Wars, I uh, still think of Star Wars like like a kid. Really, you know, what do you like about Star Wars? Well, my answer is load of spaceships flying about, blowing stuff up, and load of folks, you know, swinging laser swords about. It's really cool. Like, what's wrong with that? Like, <laughs> I'm fed up of all these. Like, uh what if we could actually? dive into the moral grey area of the of the of the rebel alliance yeah what if we don't know you know 
what, what if what if we actually don't do that? <laughs> what if I, I, for me there's no there's no great need for that. And where the video games are good is that the, in story terms they can do a lot of that stuff. They can be quite grim and dark if they want to, but they have to remember to deliver the goods. And when it comes to Star Wars Jedi, the goods are really, really cool lightsaber combat, which has been a very difficult thing for games to do for a long time because the lightsaber is a really difficult weapon to get right. You have to make it powerful, but you you can't make the game have no challenge. You have to make it fun. You also have to give it weight, but also make it weightless. It's a very tough thing, and I think Respawn have pretty much nailed it, to be honest. Um, and it was it was a sort of similar thing with Star Wars Squadrons. The story was fine, but really it was an excuse to sort of you know fly the ships about and have a lot of fun with the ships. And we aren't getting an awful lot of really really cool Star Warsy stuff in the movies and TV shows. Really, I mean there was that you know that Obi Wan thing, which was fine, which was decent enough, um, if a little bit gloomy. Um, and you know very light on the actual sort of thrills that i kind of need from star wars i think and i think the other thing about it is that now the video games are kind of the only part of star wars um that isn't or doesn't seem to be as ruthlessly overseen by disney really feels like the tv shows and the movies are Sand, have all their edges sanded off and, 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 and a little bit airless and sort of ruthlessly um, sort of stamped into shape you know it all has to be cohesive it all has to be in the, in the sort of the same recognisably the same universe and there's not much room to be wildly different or, or kind of irreverent you know it's all by the Disney formula and it so it seems to me that with the games, especially these two games, it's not that they're um, absolutely wayward or crazy, um, but they are the closest thing to what you used to get with the Star Wars Extended Universe, where you, which is now not canon, but you used to get a lot of bonkers stuff, and so some of it was really cool, some of it was shite, obviously, but some of it was like really nice and. In a funny old way, I think these games now are sort of the closest things to that. Because Disney don't have a game developer... Well, actually, I think they do now. But um, they've got that Disney Interactive Studios. But because they're not largely in charge of these things, it's left to respawn. It's left to people outside of Disney to do it. So in a funny old way, they're the closest things to sort of the old extended universe. Where it's like it, it feels like other other people's imaginations are coming into the room, you know? Um, I'm sure it is overseen by Disney. I'm sure everything has to be rubber stamped, but it just feels like it's got a little bit more life to it. It's a little bit brighter, you know. Plus, they they cram a load of sort of prequel references and nods to that sort of side of things, which is always nice. I'm glad to hear you say that Jedi Fallen Order and Survivor have that sense of energy, as, to be honest, I always thought they looked a little bit drab. So I'm looking forward to, to playing them and finding out. Uh, and I, yeah, you know, I completely agree on what makes a Star Wars game pop. Uh, just to rattle off some of my favourites, it's stuff like Factor Five game, Factor Five's games, Star Wars trilogy uh, in the arcade, Pod Racer, that real arcadey action-oriented kind of game. I'm also quite a fan 
this is a, a confession of EA's first Battlefront game. It gets a lot of stick, but I think it's quite a good time. You know, as a multiplayer FPS, it's it's a good laugh. And seeing uh, the world of Star Wars rendered so beautifully back in 2015, 2016, whenever it was, was just a real treat. Uh, you know, really, really beautiful, beautiful game. And I think it's quite a bit of fun. I should give uh, Squadrons uh, a go too, because um, that looks equally impressive. I think if I um, loop it back round to the old days, uh, my uh, first experiences of Star Wars, my first experiences of a Star Wars video game, I think was the Atari 2600 version of The Empire Strikes Back. My school friend Mark Nathan had it. Um, hello, Mark, if you're still alive. I wonder what happened to him. Um, and it was mainly focused on the Hoth sequence, which I always think is a bit of a, a riot of passage for for Star Wars video games that want to demonstrate their technical chops or their artistic you know, accomplishments. The, the Battle of Hoth is a real set piece, that and the Trench Run, I guess, but particularly Hoth, where you really you know, can demonstrate new technology. And we've seen that multiple times across the generations. I even like that sequence in um, Lego Star Wars, the Skywalker saga. It's like great fun in, in that sequence, in, the, in that game. And finally, I guess um, I should mention that I'm of the age where I can remember the sit-down arcade game, the vector graphics uh, adaptation of Star Wars, of the original Star Wars uh, film. I must have played it around the release of Return of the Jedi probably at a Pontins holiday camp in Dartmouth, if my my fuzzy memory is correct. But that was a, another magical experience, like sitting in this fairly rudimentary cockpit and hearing Alec Guinness's voice like boom out behind you as you, you know, hurtled through this wireframe representation of the of the trench. Um spectacular stuff. And, you know, I think that kind of nurturing of my Star Wars enthusiasm kind of combined with, with my you know my, my video games enthusiasm starting and here I am 40 years later still mulling over the same old stuff. 